How could a holy and everlasting God even consider such a thing? How is it even possible? No rulers. There was no legal or moral rule in the land. How is it possible that a righteous God would allow his name to be sullied among the nations and permit others to raise up their phony fake gods above his holy? If God can use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, for judgment, then for us in our time, we should not be surprised if God uses other instruments, as, as Nels mentioned, to wake us up and in some cases to bring judgment upon us. The things that capture our heart will become the same things that cause our destruction. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. These first two verses of the 97th Psalm tells us that God is sovereign and his rule is established in righteousness and justice. Welcome to the Agape Fellowship, where we undertake a verse-by-verse -verse study of the scriptures. Previously, we were faced with Prophet Habakkuk's bewilderment when God tells him that he was bringing the violent Babylonians to judge the sinful kingdom of Judah. We were left dealing with the question whether a holy God could use an evil nation as an instrument of his justice. Today, we will begin our journey with this question and as we conclude chapter 1, we will have a chance to see what this means for us personally. Be blessed as you listen to today's meditation. Aren't you not the Holy One? Are you not from everlasting to everlasting? While other nations thought of their God as holy in the sense of, oh, they are, that God is away from me. You know, that's all it means. In the, in the case of the Jewish Jehovah God, it was not only that it was holy, there was a personality, there was a personhood with this God. There was righteousness with this God. The other gods... All the other gods, you will see there's perversion in their act. They call themselves God, but they do weird things. You can go through all the religions of the world. They do weird and wacky things. And then now Habakkuk is asking, wait a minute, you are not that God. You don't, you, you don't fit that mold. Why then are you using instruments of wickedness? Why are you picked up a, a, an instrument that's wicked? It baffles Habakkuk. Other nations could speak of the otherness of the gods, but not the goodness of the God. In this case, you're saying you are, you're a good God. And so that holiness is unchanging. And so how then are you using this? How then can you even think of this instrument? And then he says, oh Lord, you have appointed for them uh, them for judgment. In other words, you are appointing the Chaldeans for judgment. Oh, rock. You have mocked them for correction. When you think of the rock, what do you think? What is your, what is your thought when you say, oh, rock? What are you thinking of? 
something that's hard. Um, no, in this case, it's not the hardness. This, sorry? Permanence. Permanence, okay. What else? Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ, Jesus Christ, exactly, that's one. What else? What other attribute can you provide for that? What other? Um, strong foundation. Strong right. foundation, good, that's getting closer. I'm looking right. for something else, something else. Right. Strength, I'm looking for something else. Salvation. Salvation, I'm looking for something else. Unchanging. Unchanging, I'm looking for something else. Stability. Stability is getting closer. The cleft of the rock. I hide myself in the cleft. This is my strong tower. This is the place that I go to, my rock of Gibraltar, my rock. Um, this is my steadfast, unchanging. All the things that you said is correct. Even more is the fact that this is an unchanging, eternal God in whom I take my shelter. And so he's saying, God, you've appointed them for judgment, but he's also saying, but you are my rock. You've mocked them for correction, but you are my rock. The, the common address of God in the Old Testament is a rock. It works of a feeling of stability, uh, one of you mentioned. One of you mentioned permanence, permanence eternity, uh, longevity. Rock is a protector of the covenant people. He said, I will raise my Ebenezer. You remember that one? Ebenezer, the rock. The, the, the rock is God or his word is the rock. His commitment. And he, so what uh, Habakkuk is reminding God, God, you are the rock. But you've brought them to, you've appointed them for judgment and for correction. And he's scratching his head. He cannot figure this out. And as uh, um, one of you mentioned, it's also Christ the rock. In 1 Corinthians 10, you see that he's the rock. And also in Peter. And what did he do? What has he done? He's appointed the Chaldeans for judgment and mocked for corrections. And herein is the, this is the problem that Habakkuk is having, is the greatest problem is this. God has appointed and ordained, in other words, he's marked them out, the Babylonians to execute judgment against Judah and to punish the wicked in Jerusalem. How could a holy and everlasting God even consider such a thing? How is it even possible? that he could apply, he could use such an evil, horrendous nation as a mechanism of judgment. Instead of reproof, it appears that the Babylonians are looking for the extinction of their victims. How could the holy God, the rock of salvation, turn his back away from people, his own people, and hand them over to judgment and extinction. For us, it would be something like this. How could God set up a godless nation to punish a nation filled with Christians, Christian churches? How is that possible? This was something on the lines of Habakkuk's dilemma. China seems to be doing it today. <laughs> That's what uh, one of you mentioned, Brother Bala mentioned. It's so apt. How could God 
use an evil instrument? How is it possible that God could use an instrument like this? Habakkuk saw that the Babylonians had been established by God to do this. He saw that God was establishing them because God told him that. I'm raising up a nation amongst the nations for this purpose. Man may be determined by his conduct how we will encounter God's sovereignty. In other words, he can decide how he's going to manage it, but he cannot escape that sovereignty. Human actions result in particular events, to be sure. But human actions are always accompanied by God's effective counteractions that work on his purpose. When man is at work, I mentioned this earlier, God is also at work. The Lord controls and works his will among the nations. We think that, you know, our geniuses, our governments, our, you can name anybody, our churches, that we've all got it figured out. And we say, oh, you know what? God's not doing anything. And that's where we make the mistake. God is at work while we are at work in our own crooked conniving way. Whatever that is, whether we are government, whether we are church, whether we are something else, when we think we are busy at work in our own crooked, wicked way, be rest assured that God is at work simultaneously to deal with you on the other side. The Lord controls and works his will among the nations. Why do you look? And so he says, why do you look on those who deal treacherously? Habakkuk's first trouble by no judgment on against um, that there was no judgment against Judah and God answered him by telling there's judgment on the way. Now Habakkuk is troubled by the agent of his judgment that is Babylonians. It will be like crying out to God about the state of the church in America and hearing God respond by saying, I'll fix the problem. The stuff they take pride in will become the very seed of their own destruction and fall. Whatever, this is for us, the church. Forget the nation. Let's examine ourselves. Remember last time, the study, the last as Paul uh, encouraged us, examine and test. So let's examine ourselves. The stuff that we take pride in within our churches will be the very same things that will be the seed of our own destruction. We would say, wait a minute, Lord, the problem is bad. But your cure is worse than the disease. <laughs> We've had this before, right? The cure is worse than the disease. But God applies that same thing. In fact, it is us who make that same problem. The things that we take pride in, if it's not in God, in his ways, and his things, then those very things, whatever it is, will become a snare to us. Don't care what it is. If it's money, budget, buildings, finance, mega, micro, whatever, you call it whatever you want. Those very things will become a snare to us. And so Habakkuk is going forward. You are of purer eyes than behold evil and cannot look at wickedness. And he cannot understand how is it possible that God can look at this thing. You've got eyes that will not look at wickedness. You turn your face away from wickedness. How come you're tolerating this? 
Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things? Verse 14, uh, like creeping things that have no ruler in them. At this point, Judah, at this point, had lost any semblance of an organized society and community. Completely lost it. The head of the kingdom uh, by the king was Jehoiakim, completely corrupted and had become ineffectual and had become a, an, an just a completely destroyed. There was no law and justice as we read earlier. And then here's the other side. Sin and corruption had started to flow from the king's house and from the temple. There was no moral code. I mean, first of all, let's say there was no legal code. Justice was perverted, but there was something else. Morality had gone out the roof, uh, out the window. If you want to read more about it, read Ezekiel 34. About the prophet, about the shepherds of Israel at that time. Ezekiel 34. Those people that were called to be righteous people had forgotten righteousness. There were two parts. The legal the society, the legal organization of the society had corrupted. And the, the God part of it, the judgments, the temple, the world, the righteousness, all of that had gotten corrupted. And there was none, either places. But there was big worship on the, in, the, in the temple. This is what Jeremiah's problem was. He says, look, why do you need this? Why, why are you doing this? God is not going to accept your worship. There's no justice in the land. You perverted justice. So Jeremiah and Habakkuk contemporaries. And so they had forgotten all of this. And so they become like men or like fish of the sea, like creeping things, no rulers. There was no legal or moral rule in the land. I don't know if you know, in schools of fish, there's no leader. You know that, right? They just go anywhere they want. Schools of fish, that's the way they are. And so he's talking about the Babylonians. Therefore, they sacrifice to their nets and burn incense to their dragnets because by them they share, they share, their share is sumptuous and their food is plentiful. Babylonians did not respect the God of Israel. They attributed their success to their power, their strength, and their genius. This also bothered Habakkuk. How is it possible that a righteous God would allow his name to be sullied among the nations and permit others to raise up their phony, fake gods above his holy name? It's inconceivable to Habakkuk that God would allow some pseudo-God pseudo God's name to come about his name. However, there's another side of the story to this. They were not doing it on their own power. Remember in earlier verse, he said, God is raising up a nation. Let's look at the other side of the story, shall we? Let's ask, where did that power come from? Where did the power of the Babylonians, how did it happen? Where did it come from? 
let's look at it from another angle. Can one of you pick up Daniel chapter 2? 31 to 38. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its leg of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from summer from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Up to 38. Go on, uh, go on till 38. Okay. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Gold. Thank you. You know who we're talking about, right? If you read the book of Daniel, this is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of the multi-metal statue. And so Daniel is interpreting the story and he says, look, you are the head of gold. And what does it say in verse 37? You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you kingdom, power, strength, and glory. In Habakkuk, he, the, Habakkuk is looking at the other way, and God is telling him, look, I'm raising up a nation. I'm raising up a nation for judgment. And so God is raising that up, and, da, and Nebuchadnezzar is being told, I'm going to give you that power. And so they work together. And so here we see a nation being raised and Habakkuk is perplexed that such an evil from Habakkuk's point of view, it is true. It is true that it was a horrendous, horrible nation and no one wanted to stand in front of them. In fact, they borrowed a lot of uh, um, strategies from the Assyrians. Now, this is a side note, but you heard that um, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Uh, why? Because he knew that God was going to be merciful. But did you know that Nineveh, that was the Assyrian kingdom? One of the things that the Assyrians did to create fear amongst people that they were attacking is that every nation that it attacked, uh, to destroy or to plunder or whatever the Assyrians did, what they would used to do is they used to maim the population. They would either take out their eyes, cut out the ears, cut out their nose, to cut out their tongue, take the limbs out, do things like this so you get a population alive and maimed walking around and they would become a witness of what the Assyrians would do. So when Assyrians would come through, it, they were absolutely sure that their folks, their people, the men, the women, the children were all maimed. 
on purpose and let, left to live to be a witness. So this is the same kind of attitudes that the Babylonians picked up. And they used to destroy people. And this, you read this poor earlier portion about them creating siege. So they used to create these ramps so that the, uh, the, um, the walls of Jer Jerusalem was not a big deal. Um, and so they created those kinds of things. And though this was a horrendous nation that God was picking up to judge Babylon. I mean, to, to judge the uh, kingdom of Judah. And last point, shall they therefore empty their nets and continue to slay nations without pity? And so God, um, Habakkuk is asking God again, are you, are you meaning to say that you're going to let them empty the nets? In other words, catch this nation, take them exile, put them away, and then go back with the nets again to take another nation? And you're just going to let them be? And that's where chapter one ends. And we've run out of time too. And so we'll stop here tonight and then we'll continue on the other side. But the more important thing here is this. If God can use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans for judgment, then for us in our time, we should not be surprised if God uses other instruments, as, as Nels mentioned, to wake us up, and in some cases, to bring judgment upon us. We have to be sincere. And God is a God of justice. God has not forgotten. God's grace does not mean he doesn't care for justice. That grace does not mean he's compromised on his righteous deeds God is holy he's a holy God demanding us commanding us to be holy he says be holy just as I am holy he's expecting us to be that holy nation holy priesthood and when we deviate from that we've actually put the seeds of our own destruction right in there. The things that capture our heart will become the same things that cause our destruction. And that's why God said, look, you should have no other gods before me. Was he being angry? Was he doing any of that? No, he is not. What he's trying to tell us is, look, nothing on planet Earth nothing in your mind, nothing of creation can take that spot and yet bring you to your home. Whatever it is that you put in that first spot, apart from God, will take you away from God. If it's wealth, that's what's going to take you away. If it's relationship, that's what's going to take you away. If it's your spouse, that's what's going to take you away. If it is something else, that's what's going to take you. If it's your job, that's what's going to take you away. Whatever it is that takes that spot will be the cause of yours and my downfall. And so God says, look, that spot belongs to me. Why? Because not because I'm an egomaniac, because I know how to get you home. 
Jews had forgotten, the kingdom of Judah had forgotten that God is a holy God, that he had set those rules and laws in place so that people can walk right and that they can be a light to the nations. That was the main, that was God's objective of the Jews, to light to the Gentiles. But they never became because they were compromised. And here we are, let's talk up America. God has called us, who knows, you know, when they came off the, the four ships in Plymouth or somewhere else, they sat down and made a covenant with God and said, God, you be our God, we will be your people, we will serve you, give us this land so we might serve you. And we, here we are 200 years, 250 years later. We say, oh, we didn't do that. It's, it would be exactly like the Jews. How do you know? How do you know? If God didn't give us this land for a time, but he's also told us to be righteous and to have his rules and regulations and honor him, become a light to the nations. How do you know? And if we as a light to the nations have stopped becoming a light to the nations, why wouldn't he not allow such a thing as that happened to the Jews and Judah happened to us? And the same thing applies to our churches. Oh, so, well, you know what? We're going to form a church. Very soon we've forgotten that our reason for forming a church, our coming together is to serve him wholly. And all of a sudden that became secondary. And now my all the other paraphernalia became the reason for our getting together. Same place. The thing that puts, the thing that we put in that spot will consume us and will destroy us. With this installment, we conclude the meditation from the first chapter of Habakkuk. At the start of the chapter, we see that Habakkuk is troubled because of the rampant evil and perversion in the kingdom of Judah and that there was no judgment on Judah. However, when God tells him that judgment is on its way, Habakkuk is even more troubled by the fact that God's agents of judgment on Judah was the more wicked and cruel nation, Babylon. Today, as we probe deeper, we were able to see that human actions are always accompanied by God's effective counteractions. The sovereign God of justice bids us to be holy even as He is holy. Today's meditation compels us to careful introspection whether we as a nation and a people are in danger of God's judgment because we have deviated from God's mandate of being a light unto the nations. We hope you were blessed. Join us next time as we look to Habakkuk chapter 2.